Welcome to AB3 Speaks with Monica Antakia, the podcast on academic business and branding, where we talk about planning, building, running, and growing a business as Black academic women who want to share their knowledge with the world. I'm Takia Nur Amin, academic success strategist, dance scholar, and lover of all things luxury. I'm Monica A. Coleman, professor, religious leader, and mom to an active growing kid. We have over 25 years combined experience of sharing our academic knowledge beyond the classroom, and we're telling you all the things we wish someone had told us. We will share our values-led ways of monetizing your advanced education in today's global marketplace and highlight Black academic women who are doing this with excellence and flair. So stay hydrated, make sure you have something to write on and write with, because class is in session. Well, let's talk about who we are and what AB3 is about. You know, I think it's important for our listeners to certainly have a sense of who I am and who you are, Monica, and why we decided to build AB3. By now, you all know I'm Takia Nur Amin. I'm an academic success strategist. I'm a dance scholar. I'm a lover of all things luxury, anything that is sparkly and beautiful. (laughs) And uh, I've been working in business since 2014. Um, In my business, I work with individual clients providing um, confidential solutions to uh, career issues that they might be having. People come to me usually when they need a confidential voice outside of their institution to help them work through any kind of transition or inflection point. Um, It might be that they've decided to go back to school and they're not sure where to start. It might be that they have achieved a career milestone and they're not sure what to do now. They're looking to pivot within or beyond their current institution or institutional type, and they need um, quality solutions and reasonable strategy uh, beyond or outside of their institutional mentors or context. Um, I started doing this because I was always doing it without thinking about it. You know, anybody who knows me knows that I try and really strive to be a person who is generous and available to others. And people would see me at conferences, at professional development events, and ask for all kinds of career help, support, and resources, which I was always happy to give and share. But it meant that I was helping people in bathrooms and parking lots and hallways and Starbucks and standing in line at a bookstore and developing my business really came out of a desire to formalize that experience in some way. I never thought when I first started my business that I would be working with institutions But I started doing institutional consulting around 2018, largely around professional development for faculty and staff, but also policy development and review, also curriculum development, search consulting. So really a range of things because I tailor the solutions that I give to my clients, whether they are individuals or institutions. And I'm excited to do that work. I'm happy to do that work. While most of my individual clients are Black women, I work with clients across all demographics, 
And while most of the institutions that I've worked with have been uh, public universities, I also work with small liberal arts colleges, public and private, as well as religious institutions. I've consulted with several seminaries and divinity schools, and that's really exciting work to do as well. Well, thank you, Takia, for sharing that. And what, what about you, friend? What do you do? <laughs> well, if it's not clear, we're friends. And I am a professor, a religious leader, and a mom to an active growing child. And I've had my business since 2010, I guess is when I say I inked myself. And there's a story behind it that I'm not even sure if I told you this part of the story. So I wrote my first book came out in 2004, which was the same year that I earned my PhD. So while I was writing my dissertation, I was also writing a a book that was not an academic book. And it was based on my master's thesis. And it was my first book called The Dina Project, which was a congregational response to sexual violence in the community based on a nonprofit that I used to run. And I wrote the book because it was the book I needed. It didn't exist. So I tried to piece it together and do the nonprofit. And I was being invited around the country to talk about what I had been doing while I was running this nonprofit before the PhD program. And I was like, oh, I need to write this down so that people can just have it. And I don't have to dash all over the country to Minnesota and different places I was going because there was a pretty small group of people, um, white or black at that point, (laughs) any color that were talking about sexual violence and Christianity and not just about clergy sexual misconduct, but about how churches can be better about responding to sexual violence. And so we kind of knew each other. Um, There was not much of an internet then, but we knew each other, we heard of each other, and we would kind of travel in these same circles. And so I wanted to write the book so I wouldn't have to do that traveling, but I wanted the book for people who loved me right? For people like my mom and my aunt who were not survivors, but who wanted, who loved somebody who was and who wanted, who were active in their church and just wanted to do something and didn't know what to do. And so I wrote this book and my aunt, who's also my godmother, thought this was the best thing in the world. She was just my hype woman. And she told everybody she knew, you have to have my niece come to your church and speak. You have to have my niece come to your church and speak. And she's going to bring these books. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was clergy. I knew how to preach. So I would preach. But I didn't know how to put a contract together. I didn't... um, know what to put in the contract. I didn't know how much I should be charging or asking for or making. Um, The church was still a very patriarchal space. So there were only X number that wanted women in their pulpit, even in 2004. And talking about sex and sexual violence, because people think sexual violence is about sex when it's, of course, actually about power and bringing these books with me. But there I was jumping on these planes and talking about my book and speaking and preaching and kind of stumbling my way into um, what has now become a career as a professional speaker. In 2010, I was on a sabbatical in a different job and I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, actually. And as I was reading this, I was like, you know, I need to get my finance life together. But I don't sell property. I don't sell green golf balls. I don't have widgets. I have ideas. So we talk about the Academy as a marketplace of ideas. And we up at these conferences giving it away for free. 
And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to sell these ideas because that's what I have. Like that's that's my thing. I have ideas and I like to think they're somewhat interesting ideas. So in my business, I do two things uh, primarily right now. I offer a faith that liberates. I teach um, religious classes. I have a couple of different religious resources that I offer for people who are looking for a more liberating faith, a faith that helps them to keep it real, a faith that is grounded in diversity and change and justice. And as a religious leader, as a religious scholar, as a theologian, I know that so many of us only know the beliefs we were taught growing up or the kind of ideas that are out in the ether. And I was teaching graduate students, like this small group of five to 25 people, things that I think are compelling and interesting and important to know. And so I wanted to be able to teach that to a wider group of people. So I offer a number of resources that kind of fall into that category. And some, it definitely overlaps with my public speaking because a number of my professional speaking um gigs, you might say, right, are about the books I've written, are about the things I talk about. I talk about religion, um, about the intersection of mental health and religion. And I also talk about the importance of change and how it is we change, how change is difficult for us, uh, how we respond to change, how we can adapt to change, and the practices we need to get better at adapting to change, and how that which is most holy and most divine changes along with us and walks with us and journeys with us um, in this process. So most of my business, I have, again, these two sides are individuals, right? People, sometimes they are just anybody who cares about their spirituality and wants to learn a little bit more. Um, a lot of times that's clergy, but not always, right? Just um, sometimes there are seminarians who didn't get taught this kind of theology in their institution because it just wasn't offered, or people who want to know more, or people who have who are just curious. There are a number of people who take my classes and don't agree, but they're just glad to have more information. And I love that just as much as those who are like, hey, I've been looking for this all of my life. I think I believe this. I just didn't have the language for it. And then I also serve larger institutions um, like universities and largely universities, nonprofit organizations, and sometimes corporations who bring me to speak to their constituencies, to their students, to their employees, to their chaplains at times, to their mental health professionals. And then I share and do public speaking and workshops in that arena. So for me, the why of the business was to formalize, right? And to have a better, honestly, a better tax structure for what I was already doing, right? I've been preaching since I was 19. We won't say how long ago that was, um, but I've been preaching for a very long time, which is a kind of public speaking, but it wasn't, it wasn't formalized. Um, I didn't, I just didn't know the business side of how to do that. And so that was a big part of why I inked myself. The reason I do the things I do is because I'm passionate about it. I think it's really cool and very exciting and helpful to know. I think that sometimes things are hard because we don't know they're going to happen, right? So a lot of times change is hard because we're not expecting change to happen or we think things are going to stay the same, as an example. And so I like to give us ways of thinking about the world and ways of thinking about our faith 
um, that doesn't all of a sudden make things easy. Oh my gosh, I wish it would. But it gives us some frameworks for understanding and for managing and for adapting and for growing. And the more people I can share that with, the more I get to live out my calling in the world. That's really good. That's really helpful. I hope that um, hearing just a little bit of our journeys will resonate with those of you who are listening to us. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about what AB3 is Mm -hmm. and why we decided to build that community. I think it's important for us to share that the Academic Business and Branding Brain Trust offers in-depth focused guidance and community for Black academic women and our allies who want to share their knowledge with the world. Um, And the short answer to why we built it is because we couldn't find anything like it anywhere. Um, I know for me when, and we've talked about this several times, Monica, it's like, when we were trying to start our businesses and went out into the wild, wild west of the internet to find resources, there was nothing specifically aimed at Black academic women. I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? And trying to insert the academic life into Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which could be done, but the translation work was so hard. Yeah, what we needed wasn't available to us in any kind of clear, streamlined, or systematic way. There was no one out there who was centering the needs of Black women in the academy who were interested in entrepreneurship for the purpose of sharing our knowledge with the world. We were not anyone's focus. And we didn't have a community of other folks who shared those aspects of our identities to talk to. I know we have spent countless hours in webinars and conference calls back in the day and on people's websites, reading people's blogs, looking at online communities, trying to patchwork together resources that we needed to sustain and support our businesses, precisely because nothing like AB3 existed before now. And for both of us, we're people who still have jobs in the academy. And so what it meant and what it looked like to do this kind of thing while still being in the academy, while still having a connection to to academic work and to institutions of higher education. And, you know, Taiki and I would be on the phone, texting on the phone late at night, talking about this, supporting each other. Like, what do you think of this idea? Can you listen to this? Is this the right kind of language? But also like, hey, look at what this person's doing. Look at how this is happening. What if we tweaked it this way? What would this look like for academics? What would this look like for women? What would this look like for, for us, right? How do we take these different pieces of information we are seeing you know, around the internet and even in different texts and different models and apply it to what we do? And very much like Takia in that parking lot, in her parking lot advice, Right. I was talking to a couple other people like, hey, let's talk to each other about what we're doing and how we're doing it and strategies we found, paperwork we use, like what's helpful for you. And I knew like four or five other people, maybe six. Right. There weren't many others I knew who were out here with these businesses while balancing it with the rest of the fullness of our lives. I think it's really important to realize that even in 2023, 
when you go out and you look, particularly in digital spaces for entrepreneurial communities or business advice, startup advice, even with the proliferation of businesses by Black women in the academy and beyond it, as well as other women of color, most of the online business advice is just not aimed at us. It's aimed at white men. It's aimed at white male entrepreneurs. It's orange and blue. <laughs> it's it's aimed at white male creators and um, finding it. We both relate to how difficult it can be to translate that information to make it relevant, both culturally and intellectually, to the work that we're trying to do. At the same time, you know, I think we aren't telling tales out of school to talk about the fact that some of these entrepreneurial spaces that we've been in and know we aren't going to name names, but some of them have been outright hostile to higher education or very anti-intellectual. Um, Monica and I are black women with degrees, several of them between the both of us. We both have a robust critique of the academy and can talk about the ways in which it has been um, less than healthful to Black women and women of color academics. At the same time, while we hold a robust critique of the academy, we still work in the academy and are not anti-higher education. And so it was difficult to try to glean business knowledge and resources from spaces that were so anti-intellectual, so suspicious and hostile towards higher education. Um, those just weren't healthy spaces for us to be in as we were trying to build our businesses. We also really wanted to focus on how we could mine our personal experiences for the knowledge that we had that we could monetize and figure out how to monetize it, share it with the world in a way that didn't undermine our credibility as academics. So the other part that we noticed about a lot of entrepreneurs, and particularly those who were working in the business-to-business -business world, who were working with those who were trying to start businesses, was trying to help people understand how their personal experiences could be monetized and how their personal experiences gave them credibility. And we were in a very different situation because we're monetizing the stuff we know, and we know that we know stuff, right? We have, we have paid the price, bought the t-shirt. We know things. In fact, if you have these advanced degrees, we're the only person who knows the corner of the field that we know like we know it. So we don't have to be convinced that we know something. And we're in this because we think it's cool. We think it's interesting. We think it's worthy of the kind of investments that we've made to learn it and to become experts at it and to teach it. And we have the fides. The experience is not what gives us credibility, although, of course, we do have experiences that matter and are relevant, but it's our, we have the degrees, we got the papers, right? We, we have the proof that we are experts in our field. And so there's a whole section of how so many businesses are oriented that weren't relevant to us because we have this kind of credibility. And on the same hand, we want to balance what we're doing out in the world, out in the business world, with the credibility we want to keep doing what we're doing and to keep being seen as respectable academics. And that's a kind of balance that nobody was talking about much and that we were trying to figure out on our own. Yeah, it's a legitimate concern 
um, for Black women in the academy and women of color more generally to think about how do you strike out effectively with your entrepreneurial dreams in a way that doesn't undermine your credibility in the eyes of your colleagues or institutions that you may want to work for or work with, right? I mean, it's a reality that professional reputation still matters. And so the way that folks in other industries or folks who are sole entrepreneurs um, might not necessarily have to think about professional credibility in the same ways that we do. And so we're holding those professional concerns. We know that we are credible because of the knowledge that we have and the experiences that we have lived through. And we knew that there was a market for the work we wanted to do because people kept asking us for help in all these different places. AB3 really grows out of our desire to share what we didn't have when we were getting started with other people. It is us bringing together in a streamlined, systematic, direct, user-friendly way um, the knowledge, wisdom, and resources that other folks would benefit from in trying to build an academic business, if we think about it that way. At the same time, it also allows us to experience community, right? To have other people to learn from, to share ideas with, who are as committed to business success as we are, and also understand the unique concerns that we bring to the world of entrepreneurship. And I'm just glad that we were bold enough and creative enough to create something that we've already seen benefiting other people, but that benefits us too, because we learn from the folks in our community all the time. We do. We get to work with some of the most compelling and fascinating women, right? Um, I think that are out there and become invested in each other's dreams and check in on each other. Like, how is how's that going? Or how can I support you with this? Um, let's have a conversation about how you might launch this next endeavor or how you might market around this book, even if it's an academic book, but even if it's not. Any all of those kinds of things are what we're doing here at AB3 and that we think are really fun. Let's talk about the Black women part of it, right? Why we do academic business and branding around Black women. Well, I mean, we are Black women, so I guess that's part of it. But <laughs> that's definitely, I think, a compelling part of it. Um, I think that part of the reason why we we chose to focus AB3 on Black women is because Black women deserve to be at the center of someone's concern, right? When we were out in the wild, wild west of the internet looking for resources to support and sustain and grow our businesses and to shape them in ways that would be um, professional and appropriate and desirable to our niche audiences and all of that, it was very clear that none of the resources we come across were focused on Black women in the academy. We deserve to be at the center of someone's concern. And after you know talking about this over the years, it's very clear that in most instances, the only people who put Black women at the center of their concern are other Black women. And so following in that tradition, we chose to build a community that amplifies our cultural context, our cultural knowledge, um, our lived experiences. That doesn't mean that other folks can't come and benefit. Um, if you 
value and appreciate the knowledge, wisdom, and resources that Black women bring to the table. And you can decenter your own experience enough to learn from that in a meaningful way, then you are welcome to be a part of this community. But understand that we are going to be speaking from our experiences as Black women at the intersection of business and the academy. And that those are the experiences we're going to center in the work that we do. We also know that, you know, as Black women, we have unique relationships to business and branding, right? We know we got the academic down. If you're here, you got it. You are working on it and you have worked it out and you are still growing and enjoying your field. But the business and branding part for many of us is a newer part. And we have a complex relationship to that. Many of us come from people who know how to hustle, who have led in historic marketplaces that still do. But we also may have a more painful relationship to branding, to what it means to be a commodity, to what it means to sell oneself or to be sold. And we want to address all of those kinds of things when we're talking about what it means to market ourselves, right? And to monetize the knowledge that we have. Because no matter what we call our businesses, for most of us, we are the brand, right? It's our knowledge. It's the particular spin that we bring to something. It's our particular contribution. And so for many of us, it's our face. It's our embodiment that people know know us by, right? We're not like Target, where we don't really care who owns Target. We just see that red sign and we know we're going to get some stuff that we need and probably too much stuff if we go in the store, right? We're not Target. Right? We are, we're usually the face that people see. And we wanted to be able to speak particularly to all the things that we bring to that experience and that we, both the challenges and the opportunities and the experience and be able to grow from that place. I think that's absolutely right. Um, I also think for our listeners out there in podcast land, um, it's really important for you to understand hearing myself and Monica talk about this journey to building AB3 is that part of why we develop this community and work in the way that we do is because we Mm -hmm. really want everybody to win. We really do. If you are a Black woman in the academy who has been zooming into other people's classes or doing speaking engagements or consulting on the side or developing curricula or whatever you've been doing. We want to make sure that you do that in a way where you are getting the best um, compensation, where you are presenting your business in a way that feels like it's in alignment with your deepest values and that positions you to live out your dreams, whatever those dreams are. Those dreams don't have to look like my dreams. They don't have to look like Monica's dreams. You know, maybe you're not a bomb. Maybe you're not a luxury lover, whatever it is. We want you to live in the world in a way that is not only in alignment with your values, but that sustains and supports your dreams. So much of the work that we do in building our businesses is really about breathing life into Um, the creative visionary parts of ourselves that allow us to take the knowledge we have and package it in a way that it is broadly applicable and available to so many people whose lives we get to touch both within and beyond higher ed. Some of us have jobs that just aren't big enough for all we have to offer. And so we build businesses that allow us to breathe that knowledge into the world. You know, some of us are girls with big brains and big visions, and that's exciting. 
that's exciting. So the Academic Business and Branding Brain Trust allows us a place to dream together, to plan together, to grow together, to share resources. Um, it keeps you from having to go out into the wilderness of the internet and put all of this together for yourself. Mm-hmm. You can come and be in community with other women um, who are committed to the same journey that you're on and learn from the experiences and knowledge that both myself, Monica, the other women in the community, and the special guests that we bring in too, have to offer and share um, with the hope that you can uh, skyrocket your own success and move forward in a way that's in alignment with your biggest dreams. Because we're dreamers over here. We're going to talk more about that as we move through our podcast, but we are dreamers and we are not out here just trying to scrape by. That is not cute. We are out here trying to live our best lives and whatever that looks like. Yeah, we all got to pay down those student loans, but there's more to life than that, right? We want some other stuff. You might throw some glitter on it if it's Takia, right? (laughs) You might add a kid to it if it's me, but we are out here, you know, trying to live, live the lives that we are excited about. And not only are we interested and committed to supporting everyone in that, we also want to ground ourselves in that and let that be our starting point and our finishing point. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia. We do this podcast because we want to serve and support Black academic women's entrepreneurial dreams. So subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We read every one, and this will help others to find the show. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, go to BlackAcademicBrainTrust.com, where you can join our amazing community and get our free resource on the 12 questions you should ask yourself before becoming a Black academic entrepreneur. Our mission is to nurture your entrepreneurial dreams within and beyond the academy and build a business that both sustains and offers you freedom. We look forward to you finding and joining us at blackademicbraintrust.com. Because we want you to win. Mm-hmm.